Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 171 of the Canadian Football Countdown, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, we're here to recap week number 12 in the CFL this evening, and uh, it's a bit of a throwback. It's a bit of a retro night here on the Canadian Football Countdown. Uh, Adam and Trey both have a well-deserved night off tonight, so it's just the good old crew from the beginning, uh, myself and the great Michael Garrell here. Mike, how are you doing this evening? Good. Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed, though. I was expecting the retro introduction, but uh, we'll have to rectify that one from a recycle at some point. But nonetheless, good evening, Ryan. It's great to be back after I got a week off last week. Uh, so uh, thank you for allowing me to do that. Yeah, for sure. It's important, I think, for everybody to take a week off here and there and uh, always happy to do the podcast. Happy to have you back here, Mike, as we get through talking about everything. We'll discuss the breaking news that came out earlier today. A couple pieces of uh, big news. We'll uh, recap each of the games. We'll give our players of the week. We'll get update our power rankings, all of that fun stuff here throughout the night. We are live on a variety of platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, you name it, the Game Time TV YouTube page, all presented by, all made possible by our presenting sponsor, Game Time TV. Uh, Mike, where can people go to learn more about uh, everything Game Time TV? Yeah, people can go to game, uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com, backslash Game Time TV MB. Also visit our website, watch.gametimetv.ca. That'll be uh, Broadcast schedules coming up in the not-too-distant future. So, And packages and all that fun stuff go on sale, too. Uh, so can't wait to get the uh, season rolling pretty shortly. Right on. Good evening, everybody joining us in the live chats, or if you're watching afterwards as well. Uh, this episode of the podcast is also brought to you in part by Betstamp. Uh, there are a lot of different sports books out there these days, and each one offers you different prices on the same games. How do you ensure you're getting the best value? Betstamp provides you the info you need at no additional cost. You simply pull up the game on the Betstamp app. You see the odds offered by each of their different sportsbook affiliates for that game. You find the price you like. You find the odds you like. You make the pick that maximizes the return for you. And if you find the odds you like, you can sign up for the corresponding sites directly through the BetLink page on the Betstamp app. Uh, for one quick, easy access. And if you want extra insight before you make those picks, uh, you can see what others are picking over on the commission-free marketplace, where you can see the bets that those such as ourselves here at the Canadian Football Countdown have placed. Uh, you can follow us on the Betstamp app. Uh, just search CF Countdown Pod. Uh, and through Betstamp's verified bet tracking, you get the guarantee the odds we pick on our weekly show Wednesday nights are verified and legitimate. Visit bedstamp.app or download the free app from the App Store and sign up with referral code CFC to start using Betstamp free today. Best of luck with your wagers and remember, always bet responsibly. Now, before we get into some of the breaking news, we do also want to acknowledge that the Canadian Football Countdown is brought to you from Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Cree. Ojakri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation, as well as from Treaty 4 territory, traditional territory of the Cree, Soto, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Métis Nation. Well, Mike, let's get into the breaking news that starts us off today. It came as a shock to all of us. It's a, 
it's as Adam said to us earlier today, and he said it on social media, it's been the summer of Stern 2022. Gary Stern has been one of, if not the story of the CFL so far this summer. And a bit of sad news here as uh, announcing today, effective immediately, that uh, Gary Stern is stepping away from the CFL's board of governors and the day-to-day operations of the team. Now, the story came out. Uh, throughout the day, I believe Dave Naylor was the first one to uh, to be reporting on it. We did end up getting a letter from Mr. Stern to Alouette's fans as well, and basically describing the situation as uh, when he first owned the team, he was a 25% owner. Uh, his father-in-law, Sid Spiegel, uh, owned the other 75% of it. They bought the team together. They were excited to work with one another. Unfortunately, uh, Sid Spiegel did pass away last year really before uh he even got to see his newly owned team uh play a game uh sadly and uh while mr stern has been uh you know he's been earned he's owned the team he's been promoting the heck out of the team he's been hyping up the heck out of his team for the last number of months it sounds like from his words and from the articles that uh the situation of that 75 percent now going to the estate uh maybe a bit of not on the same page between himself and the estate and uh he's stepping away uh the, the twitter account is gone the summer of stern all of the tweets were sad to see it go a uh, bit of shocking news from around the cfl today but uh, that we're not gonna see good old uncle gary uh around these streets for the next little while mike uh what are your thoughts on uh this big news today I don't want to get this political, uh, controversial in any way, but I think to me, we're stuck in the middle of family drama. It's, there's no other way to put this. Uh, it's sad. Uh, I was done, um, little bit of an inclination before you sent me the text that this was coming, uh, by virtue of another source and then you confirm it again. and. It's the sad reality of of uh, business life, right? Uh, you got the majority owner, or in this case, the majority uh, estate owner, um, or the estate owns the team, I guess, uh, because uh, Sid Spiegel unfortunately passed away. Um, but again, you got that 75-25 power holds at 75 versus 25. You agree to disagree, and at some point you just gotta cut your losses and move on. It's it's really unfortunate because that looked like a team that was, you know, starting to get some momentum. Uh, they had one of their biggest crowds in quite some time at their last home game. Uh, I would be very curious to see the effect that this is going to have on business. Uh, you know, because you have all this momentum, and it, it's like trying to go from 100 miles an hour to zero in two seconds. Uh, not a train wreck, not a crash, but just stopping in the middle of the highway or in the middle of an open freeway. That's what this is. Um, am I surprised? Absolutely. But given the circumstances of what has, you know, the circumstances around this and having some time to think about it, it's not really surprising. And unfortunately, this is just typical business. You know, majority rules out minority in a lot of cases, and you can't get it, you know, on the same page. It's it's really unfortunate. And 
even more so it hurts when there's families involved in one family in particular right it's it's you know it's i don't i, I don't know the circumstances of which so I, i'm going to be careful you know to to speak because you know we, we we don't know the circumstances but it just seems like there was a disagreement and yeah we'll see how this reacts to the uh uh, to the actual football team because that football team is pretty darn good too. Uh, might be the best team in the East if you re- if you really want to look at it. But yeah, it, it's interesting, and you know, there's a certain reporter. I might just stray off the topic here, but was very quick to hop on the Randy Ambrosi uh, bandwagon. But this is his problem. Uh, the CFL has an Eastern Division problem. I'm not so sure. Um, to me, you can't control when somebody passes away, and it's just unfortunate. Uh, I enter two different situations, but that's it's just it's just unfortunate, right? Because Randy Ambrosi seems to have a controversy figured out, and there's another fire that comes up. Yeah, so, and there's there's a lot of people now concerned of, oh, great, the Alouettes are they going to be back up for sale again now? Stern still owns 25%. The estate of Sid Spiegel still owns 75% at this point in time. But will they, how invested will they want to be in the team, whoever the estate is? Uh, do they want to sell the team? Those are a lot of questions now out there that we don't have really the answers to right now. But all around, it, it sucks. Uh, you know, Richard's in our live chat here uh, saying, uh, for, first Rourke, now Stern, who's next? has been a crappy couple of weeks the two biggest stories of the season this far have arguably been nathan rourke and gary stern and rourke goes down with an injury and now stern just disappears from the face of the cfl it seems uh with this news here so uh obviously it can't be easy dealing with the family portion of this all and uh you know i won't pretend to understand the ins and outs of what it is to be a businessman of this magnitude and make deals such as this and have to go through them but it sucks to see that uh, this was the, the the decision that needed to be made uh, because uh, it's clear he's passionate about the team. He's passionate about the league. I mean, we've seen him have a lot of fun on social media. He's done great things. He's gotten fans in the stands there in Montreal, believing in the team there. Um, so I'm interested to see where they go from here. But yeah, sad day to see uh gary stern stepping away here uh cat in the chat asks can he buy the estate or from the estate holder well we don't know financially what the, i guess the situation is as well if that's potentially an option there i i didn't i can speak to that quickly ryan if you want my guess is that avenue has already been explored and uh, my guess it's way past the price of what mr stern is willing to pay so yeah so uh, it doesn't seem like he's in the cards for right now. Maybe we see Gary uh, return to the CFL in some capacity uh, down the road. But uh, definitely was a fun, fun couple of weeks there with uh, with Gary Stern. And uh, we, wish, we wish him all the best in whatever's next. And if he feels it's the best decision for him, uh, all the best to him and his family. Mike, we also got some... Uh, a report coming out today. Uh, this is a little bit of NFL talk, but it relates to the CFL. A uh, report from uh, Adam Schefter uh, that uh, the New York Jets are uh, likely to cut Winnipeg Blue Bombers quarterback, uh, former Bomber quarterback Chris Strebler in the next couple of days. A guy who 
Well, you heard the broadcast. You've seen the quips. Strevler owns August. Uh, seems like he, with the New York Jets, has had a fantastic preseason uh, out there. Played a lot better than I expected him to. None of us really expect Chris Strevler as a passer. We expect the rushing game from him. Threw a couple solid touchdown passes. Led three comebacks. A lot of people thinking, okay, well, maybe Strevler is going to stick around with the Jets here. He was the fourth string QB coming in. He, uh, you know, the Jets aren't really known for having a strong quarterback room. I don't know a ton of NFL, but I know that. I thought this guy deserved a job, and maybe that's my Bomber fan bias. Maybe that's my CFL bias, but seemed like he was playing pretty good in the preseason there. You can't tell me he doesn't at least deserve a fourth or a third string spot on that roster. I'm disappointed today to see this news. I figured it was going to happen. It seemed inevitable. But it's just sad to see that uh, Chris Strevler, after what else could he have done this preseason to change people's minds? I don't think much, right? Well, here's the interesting part. And just so we, we know what we're talking about here, the statistics 24 out of 33, 277 yards, five touchdowns, one interception, 71 yards rushing, a 124.6 QB rating. The part that nobody's talking about, three fourth quarter comebacks. For those that think Strevler's coming back to the CFL, not a chance. This is a New York Jets, a very New York Jets thing to do. Um, and again, it really, really agitates me because what happens if this guy comes out of college and he continues to make uh, strides and doesn't go through the CFL? I guarantee you he's on the team. I guarantee it if he goes through college. Now, this, this, this to me has that Canadian football league prejudice on it. Not a big enough sample size. Maybe Robert Sella and the New York Jets need to look at that Ancho Cinco video, huh? Well, my biggest, my biggest issue with this all is how much have they been hyping him up all preseason? The entire social media game for the New York Jets has been Chris Strebler. Right. All of the post-game speeches and press conferences have been about Chris Strebler. What's the point in doing that if you're just going to cut the guy right away and you knew you were going to cut the guy coming in regardless of how he played? Um, uh, especially when he played better than... Joe Flacco, who isn't the Joe Flacco of 10 years ago. Uh, and that, that's this agitating part. Like, Joe Flacco in his prime? This isn't even a discussion. It's Joe Flacco, the ageless quarterback that looks like, you know, he needs to... He's been on multiple teams since that Baltimore Ravens team. The fact that he can't over, the, over Joe Flacco to me is really really interesting. And from a business perspective, wouldn't you want to keep the guy on your team? He literally lifts social media up. Yeah. This is the best thing to happen to the judge in a long time. No disrespect to the youngster Zach Wilson, who, you know, is that number one at the Metal Lounge in New York. That's asking about if my cowboy should pick him up. Absolutely. Well, here's, here's, here's the thing, though, right? Because 
we're all sad about this news that Strebler is going to get cut by the Jets. But maybe that's the best thing for him because he played a really solid preseason. And if they were going to keep him as the fourth string on the roster, he's bounced around between a couple NFL rosters. Maybe he gets into that two. Maybe he gets into that three spot somewhere else in the state. I just hope he sticks around here to get his pension, right? He needs a couple more NFL games to get that pension. He's worked for it. He seems like he's improved a bit as a passer. I know he's playing against fourth string defenses. That, that's the other that's the other part of it. I wonder if they view him as a one hit wonder if they looked at the rest of his his track record and suggest that, and hey, you know what? The stats aren't really there. Given the last decade, two decades, what do they have to lose? Right. Right. It's the New York Jets of all things. And you just beat your arch rival, New York Giants, on the last play of the game field goal, uh touchdown, sorry. On 4th down, I just don't get it. Hey, and you know what? The Bombers social media team was trolling the New York Jets today. Because guess what? That circle came out. My first call if I'm an NFL general manager is to one Mr. Strebler's agent. I better get that fur coat to my team. And no, the Winnipeg, the Winnipeg Jets. The New York Jets have not won a... Super Bowl since Chad Pennington took them to the AFC Championship when I was a little boy. I mean, to be fair to Kat's comment on, on our Twitch feed, uh, I've never heard of the Jets winning cups. That applies to both Jets teams. That applies to the Winnipeg Jets as well. It does. Anything Jets related. But yeah. in, in fairness, uh, Chris Trevler will get another look, and it might be the New York Jets loss. That's... Go get them, boy. You deserve it. I am fired up. You better be on a team by next week, or else I'm going to be one sad panda. Play sad music here. And we don't want Mike to be a sad panda now, do we? Now let's let's get into talking about the games from week number 12, and we'll start off with a game that maybe made Mike a bit of a happy panda because the Winnipeg Blue Bombers beat the Calgary Stampeders 31-29. to on Thursday night, the final Thursday night game of the year. And uh, boy, were we treated to another good one. Three games between the uh, Bombers and the Stampeders this year. All three of them were absolutely golden football games. Uh, big story coming into this one was Jake Mayer getting the start for the Stampeders. Bo Levi Mitchell on the bench. Uh, first off, let's start there. I guess Jake Mayer goes 23 of 28, 82.1% passing 294 yards, three touchdowns. Um, he came six yards shy of being the first quarterback to throw for 300 and four consecutive starts to start his career. Yeah. I'd say that's a pretty darn good game by Jake Mayer who had a lot of pressure on him with Bo Levi Mitchell waiting on the bench and clearly not happy about it. They didn't pick up the win here, but uh, I, I was very impressed by the play of Jake Mayer. I believe in him. I've believed in him. I said he should be the starter for this team going forward, and uh, he's definitely making a case for it. He'll start next week on Labor Day. Uh, what do you make of him coming in and playing the way he did with an offense that really hadn't gotten a ton going this year? I, I was not on the show last week, so I am at liberty to speak of this. It took some you-know-what to make this decision from Dave Dickinson. You have to be a coach comfortable in your skin to sit one of the top five quarterbacks in the history of the Calgary Stampeder franchise on the bench during a six and three season. Remember that, six and three, not 
three in sets. That is the important part of this. And I say this tongue in cheek. I just believe I Mitchell starting because the expectation is win. And he didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Jake Mayer deserves another start. <laughs> you should get it. Uh, based on the way the team that they're playing the next two weeks, uh, there should be there should be two wins. Uh, one for sure. I mean, the home and homes are always difficult, but you know he's he he certainly he certainly did not do anything to lose his job. I don't think he had to win the game to maintain his job. I think the performance like that, very very adequate, um, makes me wonder about you know. Somebody makes you wonder where they go with Bo from here. I mean, to me, I you made a franchise decision uh, last week, whether you like to admit it or not, and there's no going back from here. And I hate to say it, but the age of Bo Levi Mitchell has caught up with him. And one of the single most differences of what I noticed I haven't watched a lot of Calgary games live this year, but I've watched some. How quick he was able to get the ball out of his hand is the number one thing that jumps out to me. Bombers had fits. It was screen passes. It was one, two out of the hand. Bowl seems to hang on to it, that extra setting. It's that quick extra setting out of the hand, which leads to all those yards. Because number one, you're slowing down the pass rush. Number two, you're having a lot of success doing it. Jake Mayer is the number one in Calgary, or shall we say the new mayor in town. <laughs> well said there, sir. How fun was this football game? This was a top-notch football game. I was at this one. It was a rocking place Thursday night. Back-to-back Thursday night, solid totals of attendance. I think 30,000 or so was yeah. the announced attendance again for a Thursday night game here. And they were, everybody in attendance was, it was a treat to watch. Mayer popped off for a big game. You mentioned the the screen passes and stuff. If you would have told me Peyton Logan was going to have 100 yards combined rushing and receiving in this game for Calgary, I would have said, you're nuts. Uh, oh, and Kadeem well, Carey. Even more nuts is something later on in the show. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. And we'll get into that. Uh, Kadeem Carey also, uh, you, you know, Still had around 70, 80 yards in that one. Uh, Malik Henry, three touchdowns on the night. He got the hat trick, uh, including a wild play. I don't know if I've seen one like that, although we did a couple nights later as well, where the defensive back just went up, uh, pulled a hamstring or something on pursuit of a long touchdown, and Henry walks into the end zone. On the other side of the ball, we had Zach Caleros have a pretty decent night, but throw two picks in the end zone. We had Nick Dembski, who was a monster in this football game, uh, running all night long. The game opened up. Greg McRae, third string running back, filling in at wide receiver in place of the injured Greg Ellingson. On the very first drive, makes one of the catches of the year, possibly, while being interfered with. And uh, he puts up 95 yards through the air on the night. It's the first night in a while we hadn't didn't see much of Dalton shown. We saw a bunch of injuries, it felt like, in this game. Brady Oliveira went down at some point. We saw Dakota Prukop throw a touchdown pass. Like, what a fun football game. It was fun to watch. It was a close game. It was right down to the wire. And I loved every minute of it. Uh, what was the highlight of this game to you? The highlight is we learned one thing. 
don't let Buck Pierce have a bye week and don't let him stew over a loss because he he's <clears throat> going to find some creative way to use his time wisely to have a little bit of gadget plays, as I like to call them. And to me, it was the gadget plays, but were the difference. Uh, part of the difference. Not the full difference, uh, but the difference. Um, you know, I, I say this all the time. The champs have the right to defend themselves until defeated. Uh, the Blue Bombers' experience in the fourth quarter was a little bit not much more superior than that of uh, their opposition. And let's not forget this fact, too. It's hard to beat a team three times in a season, even harder to beat them in three close games. People are not giving the Winnipeg Blue Bombers enough credit for beating Calgary all three games within a touchdown. That is extremely difficult to do. People just suggest, oh, you know, those games could be either way. It could be 2-1 Calgary, 2-1 Winnipeg. Had Calgary could win all three. But the Bombers win close games. Everybody's, all of the social media world in Winnipeg was a blitz about how bad our defense was. Can I just say something quickly? Defense was adequate. The offenses were excellent. Both teams. Defenses were not adequate. Defenses were terrible for half the night here, Mike. They're adequate when you have the firepower on both sides that these two teams possess. It turned into the Craig McRae, Peyton Logan show, really, just like we all predicted. (laughs) Right? Right? So it's kind of, it's really interesting um, in that regard. And I I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be all that uh, heartbroken to see it again. I'm just worried about when it's going to flip in Calgary's favor. But Winnipeg did enough to win the close game, the close part of the game, uh, and win the close game. So yeah, they're 10-1 last I checked. The highlight of the game for me in this one was um, the the ref who made the touchdown call after he gets bowled over by Malik Henry right on the right on the end zone there gets completely run over falls on the ground loses his hat sits up up arms up touchdown call that's a spoiler alert honorary player of the week goes to that line official there that is a baller move from a ref. I love to see it. A real warrior mentality out there. So kudos to him on that. Uh, also, we got some shocking news during this game. All of a sudden, the final game for ref Al Bradbury. And uh, that took uh, people by surprise. It took a little bit of a uh, social media storm. Uh, I don't think Bradbury uh, has has the best reputation among CFL fans. Uh I'm surprised this game finished in two hours and 45 minutes, to be honest. For his final hurrah, I thought we were in for a five-hour night, but somehow the penalties were actually on a low. There were a couple of calls that were arguably garbage, a lot of people would say. I think a couple on both sides in that one. Um, But, uh, yeah, no more Al Bradbury out on the field, but uh, don't celebrate too much, CFL fans, because he's going to be in the video review yeah, well, I mean, the the good news of CFL officiating is 
between Albert Adbury, between Andre Pru. There's more than enough entertainment that doesn't involve the players. Each official in its own way makes it interesting. The young guys coming up have a lot to learn from those two gentlemen. Um, I, I just, you know, Bradbury to me, he's a close second to Andre Poole. Uh, we're all going to have a very sad, sad moment when Andre Poole retires. Oh, um, yeah. Every single CFL official that I had growing up is no longer to be in the lead. I mean, I do. I know back to way back to Glenn Johnson refing games. And that goes way back. But again, as much flat as Bradbury Jets from time to time, they're humans. Uh, I just hope he doesn't bring it into the command center where the job is seemingly going to be easier. Although the command center seems to have this habit of getting involved in games when they maybe shouldn't uh, from a distance. But time will tell. An excellent career uh, on the field for Al Bradbury. Nice to see his uh, his wife and I think his kids were there too. So the pitcher pregame uh, also set in last uh, Blue Bomber home game for Sarah Lusky of TSN. Uh, we'll talk about that on uh, at the week of the Banjo Bowl uh, as well. So there's a lot. I mean, Brian, we could have seriously spent an hour just passing out, you know, these games. And I think. To be completely honest, if you look at, you know, the top 10 games uh, from the CFL uh, this year, that uh, three of those 10 will be uh, Winnipeg Calgary. And there might very well be a fourth one. Yes, for sure. And we'll see how that transpires. Maybe we get around four in the playoffs at some point. Let's move on to our next game. We had a Friday night doubleheader here. We had another iteration of Hamilton and Toronto. And boy, did this seem like deja vu of a couple of weeks ago when uh, it was all Hamilton in the first half. It seemed they were uh, dominating the Argos. Toronto couldn't get anything going. Toronto gets some late points to end the first half. And then they come out at halftime and they storm ahead. And they uh, put up 27 points in the second half to just four for the Ticats. It's the exact same game as two, three weeks ago when Trey called going into halftime. Here's a big second half Argos comeback. I was thinking the same thing in this one. These are two teams that have no consistency whatsoever for a 60-minute football game. And chances are it's the team that's leading in the first half when they play again next time. That's going to lose the game because nobody can play 60 minutes between these two sides. It was an ugly football game. Um, biggest storyline probably in this one is Dane Evans making his first start back from injury. He comes in, he's not playing too well. He throws a couple interceptions. I think he fumbled the ball a couple of times, uh, finished the night 63% passing 244 yards, three interceptions. Matt Schiltz takes over at some point in the game. He goes 86% passing 114 yards and a touchdown. Schiltz looks pretty good. And then he gets injured, Dane Evans comes back in and has a couple more turnovers there. So what happened to Dane Evans here, Mike? Like, uh, everybody was anointing him the starter. I, I, for one, I'll put my hand up and say I thought coming into this year that that was the right choice for Hamilton. Mazzoli was older. Uh, you know, Evans is the younger guy. They both played decent in their time here in Hamilton. 
Uh, and uh, I, I thought Evans was the better option to go with here, but we're sitting at a point almost in week 12. Is it too harsh of me to say that despite the injury that's put Jeremiah Mazzoli out for the year, that Hamilton may have made the wrong choice? Hindsight's 2020, right? Um, to me, this is a team that if, if you look at the scenarios, uh, for which have happened to the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, this year, quarterbacking to me has been the least of their problems. Uh, you know, Dane Evans has been one of the near near top of lead passing uh, quarterbacks. Uh, has turned the ball over an awful lot, as we've seen. Um, but, you know, if, I hate to suggest to you the Hamilton Tiger Cats are broken because that would be going too far. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where this team goes from here because certainly they're not meeting expectations. Certainly that whole division not meeting expectations. I'm going to just chalk it off as a one-game, one-off mistake for Dane Evans. Uh, I'm wondering if we're also devaluing the value of the guy like Brandon Banks. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because to me, they also haven't done a lot to, uh, they haven't done a lot to show me that they're willing to commit to running the ball either. Uh, teams are keying off on them being a one-dimensional team at times. Uh, if I may spin Richard's comment about the defenses were definitely not adequate. Well, Peters was adequate for Toronto, let me tell you. Uh, remarkable. We'll get to that in just a second. It's going to be interesting here. Uh, I believe that's now two games to one for Toronto in the three game, uh, three games in the last four weeks between these two. Money is probably on the split, but I also suggest that Hamilton's season's on the line on uh, Monday afternoon. And and I was just calculating the scores from these games. So if Hamilton wins that one, they tie the season series 2-2. It goes, I think, to point differential in the games, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Hamilton would have to win by at least 25 in order to win the, uh, the point differential tiebreaker. So if they're not beating the Argos by 25 in the rematch this week, that's a division rival that they've now lost either two games to, potentially three games to, and they've lost the season series to. So... I mean, it's anybody's game in the East Division still as the season goes along here, but uh, that's certainly for whichever team loses this season series, I think it's going to come back and hurt you. Maybe not for a playoff spot, for a, but for a home playoff game potentially, uh, I'm a little concerned there for Hamilton. It just seemed like they let the game get away from them here. They were all over McLeod Bethel-Thompson early in this game. They did a great job of shutting A.J. Olette down throughout the night, but... Uh, just couldn't finish when it mattered and turned the ball over. And it really was a story of Toronto making the most of those turnovers. And if I can switch to the Argos side of this and talk about, you know, we all talk about McLeod Bethel Thompson. We all talk about, uh, you know, the passing game there for, for Toronto. We talk about, you know, uh, Andrew Harris being down. How's AJ Olette going to do? Why do we never talk about the Argos defense and the remarkable job they've done at times this season? You mentioned Jamal Peters had a big game, went to McManus at 11 tackles. They had a couple sacks from the team on the night. Uh, you know, they've been up and down this year. The Argos have been as inconsistent as ever. And uh, that, there's no doubt about that. 
But in the games where they come to play, their defense has played very well and is often one of the top fantasy defenses of the week. So uh, I, I, I give credit to the Argos defense. They kind of, you know, held the minute early in this game. They turned things around with key turnovers. And then they put the ball in McLeod Bethel Thompson's hands and said, go throw some touchdowns. And that's a knock we've given on him in the past couple of weeks. I don't think he's thrown more than one touchdown pass in like the last five games coming in. Yeah. His percentage wasn't great. He was under 60% passing. He threw an interception. He only threw 258 yards, but he got the touchdowns. The defense gave them the ball, and they put it in the end zone, which is something they hadn't done lately. And, uh, you know, different guys stepping up. Brandon Banks has been quiet all year. He was the leading receiver with 67 yards. So, Toronto, please find a way to take what you did in the second half and play 60 minutes of that. Yeah, and I think, I think though, if a lot of those coaches knew what the simple solution was, They'd be millionaires and they wouldn't be coaching. That's that's fair, Mike. That's very fair. But, again, uh, McLeod Baffle-Thompson, I mean, he reminds me so much like Matt Nichols. He doesn't put mm. up those flashy numbers. He can. Four touchdowns and 500 yards. But he somehow finds a way to just do enough to not turn the ball over scored just enough points and win adequate amount of football games. I don't know. How, how, how did you see that, Ryan? Yeah, I think that's an interesting comparison of McLeod Bethel Thompson. I think he's a boomer bust kind of guy. He can throw you your 350-yard night easily if he wants to, uh, it seems. But it's the consistency has been the issue for him. And uh, I was surprised to see them not lean more on AJ Olette after they did last week, right? And maybe that was the, by design that, okay, Hamilton was expecting screen pass after screen pass because that's what they did the week before in, in their game. And, and maybe they decided to switch it up based on that. But Olette had nothing through the air. He had nothing. He had 16 yards on the ground. Uh, I was really surprised to see them go away from the run game that much. But they didn't really get the ball much at all in the first half in this one. So uh, it kind of led to that. And then they're passing to try to get themselves back into it. I mean, here's the stat line that is just appalling for this game. What would you guess the time of possession was? Um, pretty close to 50-50. Hamilton had the ball for 38 minutes and 8 seconds. Oh. Toronto had it for 21-52. If that doesn't spell Hamilton controlling the game and turning it over at inopportune moments and giving Toronto that chance, which they capitalized on, that's the story of the game to me, right? That's how we ended up where we ended up. It turned over there. Uh, the defenses, uh, the defensive players just making the plays they needed to here for Toronto to get the job done in this one. And that's a big win for the Argos because we talked about Montreal maybe being that team that could take charge in the East Division. The Argos, for their credit, they've been inconsistent this year, but they're maintaining that first place at 5-5. Five and five. Uh, here in the East Division right now. And uh, I think, a, you know, at the end of the year, honestly, a 9-9 nine nine record might be sufficient to get that first spot in the division. So uh, if they can keep playing at least semi-consistent ball, they should be able to get there. Of course, the word of this segment is consistent, if you haven't noticed. Um, last week, on the, you weren't on the podcast, but you did give your player of the week, and you gave a shout-out to kickers around the league. How good were the kickers in this one, though, Mike? Seth Small, four of five, including a 58-yarder to end the first half. Boris Beattie, three of three for 56. 
man, some of these kickers are uh, having a good, some good games this year. I know we've seen some bad, but always love it when you see a good 58 yarder go through the uprights. Yeah, the kickers again, I almost thought my players were weak, but I couldn't do it again. Um, yeah, you know what? It just goes to show the value of field rotating in the CFL is uh, underappreciated for sure. And, uh, you know, I was hanging out with a friend tonight, and, you know, one of the things that he came across on social media, which was interesting, I think it ties into this quite uh, interestingly, is that, you know, which football position on the field is the most underappreciated. Um, you know, that could be a whole podcast in the yeah. offseason because you could make uh, quite a distinction for a lot of positions. Um, you know, I, I think even when the Bombers had, you know, Justin Medlock, it was like, okay, 10 yards inside midfield is an automatic field goal. Well, the last couple of weeks we've seen that, you know, the ability to make field goals at critical times helps you. And if you don't have a kicker in football, it's almost like not nearly the same, but almost the same as not having uh, a quarterback, really. I mean, the Bombers don't win the Grey Cup, Ryan, uh, last year without an added, without that kicking performance from Sergio Castilla. He was 5 for 5. Uh, you know, he kept making field goals that uh, would uh, keep his team in the game. So, kicking very important in the CFL, something that not a lot of people talked about. Uh, not, never mind just in football, right? I mean, that's three points is three points. If you can find a way to add three points here, three points there certainly helps you win uh, long-term, for sure. Let's move on to the second game of the Friday night doubleheader. It was the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders coming into BC for the second half of the home-and-home home series and uh, taking a win here, 23-16 to 16 for the Riders. Uh, I give them credit. I was not expecting this. I was expecting another BC win. The first week of the post-Nathan Rourke era of this season, Nathan Rourke went down the week before. He is out for quite a while here recovering from the Liz Frank injury that seems to be taking the the, the world by the sports world by storm. I think that's the name of the injury. Uh, I apologize if I missed that. Um, but uh, no Nathan Rourke. So Michael O'Connor, another Canadian QB, gets the start. I'll eat some crow here. I said on the podcast last week, I think the BC Lions were going to be completely fine without Nathan Rourke, despite, uh, you know, all of his accomplishments. I thought the depth around the team was strong enough to, to uh, still deliver dominant performances without him. The Lions struggled in this one. O'Connor started off the night pretty well. That opening drive, he drove them down the field, good passes, led them to a field goal. Then it started to taper off a little bit. Then, unfortunately, he goes down due to injury, and Antonio Pipkin takes over and finishes the rest of the night. Uh, O'Connor going 40% passing, Pipkin going 52%, 53% passing in this one. Uh, the Lions just really can't get much going offensively here. Uh, their defense actually giving up a, some surprising totals here to the Riders. Uh, what's the story of this game for you, Mike? Is this... Uh, concern over the Lions in the post-Rourke era, or is this one to you more of a, a, a maybe a one-off, it's a home-and-home home series? And on the other side of it, credit to the Riders for the game they played. 
I see this two ways. Uh, I see this as two uh, football teams that have a long way to go to catch the upper echelon when those stars are not in the game. Um, to me, we saw the BC defense under duress a lot of the night, especially after losing TJ Lee, who's a pretty one of the best cornerbacks in the lead. Um, all of a sudden, you leave those guys on the field an extra five to seven minutes. You know, right? I would be interested to see the time of possession with Nathan Ward at quarterback versus what happened on Friday night. Because I think there were a lot of three and outs. A BC team probably spent the season high on the field. Um, and they were exposed. I mean, a good quarterback covers up a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like in hockey, right? A good goalie covers up a magnitude of sins. Or a good quarterback can cover up a magnitude of sins uh, as well when he's possessing the football, manning the football, getting touchdowns seemingly every possession. You know, you're winning a lot of games by 17 or more all the time. You know, your defense does not really have to step it up, right? And they, they're not on the field as much. So, so right away, you know, you become, um, so right away you become, you know, a one-dimensional team, but you're playing to your strength. You eliminate your strength. You have your third-string quarterback, who is no slouch in his own, by the way, in uh, Antonio Pipton and Michael O'Connor. Too bad he got hurt. I was really looking forward uh, to seeing that. But, again, all of a sudden we've seen that you can be beaten if you don't have a quarterback. Um Again, the pin that's all on the quarterback, not fair. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting how BC recovers. They have a bye week this week. Uh, they're a typical Thanksgiving bye week because they don't have a rival, which is sad. I think they should have another team in the West Coast. Uh, have everybody play and have, like, a BC Victoria uh, Thanksgiving Day uh, kickoff. But, uh, Labor Day. Be- Labor Day in September. That might be in, uh, or, or, or Labor Day, pardon me, or Thanksgiving. E- e- either would work. Um, but, you know, you know, just, just, just to be fair, it's, it's, it might go CFL in 2052 if I ever become commissioner. Uh, we'll, we'll go into some unconventional markets uh, to be more Canadian now from coast to coast. But, I mean, you could have the border battle, right? The East versus, like, you, you could have the BC Lions play the Atlantic Schooners and have it the coast-to-coast battle on Labor Day. That's uh, just reminding me here that the Cowboys play on Thanksgiving. Yes, they do. That, that they do. It's one of, one of the favorite days on the calendar for me. Um, but, uh, no, that being said, uh, BC was exposed, I think, a little bit for, you know, not having their number one quarterback. And... I'm going to let you answer because I have a lot to say about the Riders, but I'll wait until uh, you give your thoughts on the BC Lions. The biggest shock for me was that they didn't use James Butler more. Like, they weren't out of this game. It was a close game for the most part. But he only had four carries for 18 yards. There were zero check down passes to James Butler here as well. David Mackey got in for a couple. But that kind of surprised me a little that they didn't use that more in this one. I was disappointed because I thought that would take some pressure off of Michael O'Connor. 
But yeah, disappointing game here for the Lions. I'm not down on them for the season, though. Like, I'm not calling this doom and gloom going forward. It's hard to win the back-to-back series and sweep that, right, in any given situation. And somehow, let's be real, with Nathan Rourke, they have been playing far better than this season in the majority of games than anybody could have anticipated. We've seen more offensive explosions from one team in their first eight, nine games this season and more blowout victories than I say we've seen from almost any team in the past decade uh early on it seemed like they were playing lights out i knew they weren't gonna play lights out necessarily anymore but i thought they were still going to be a team that could ride their strong defense that could ride their wide receiver core regardless of who is throwing the ball and still put out a strong effort in this one and i think they can be going forward but i think part of this was uh you know maybe some jitters here michael connor antonio pipkin maybe some window to the sales of the team not knowing you know what what things are going to look like here without Nathan Rourke. And I think part of it is just that home and home series. And the other part of it is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders side of things. I thought the Riders played themselves a pretty solid game here. The offensive line still needs work. There's oh. no doubt about that. Oh. Cody Fajardo was oh. on the field. Oh. oh man. He was on the side, he was on the turf seven times in this game, which uh, is shocking to see the success they had when your quarterback gets sacked seven times. But besides that, they played a good game, especially offensively here. And you know what? Offensively and defensively. They didn't force a lot of turnovers on defense, but there were some key pass knockdowns that prevented potential BC touchdowns that would have flipped the script of this game. The offense, on the other hand, Cody Fajardo, 321 yards, almost 80% passing, two touchdowns for him. Major game here for Cody Fajardo, his best one of the season. Uh, Keon Schaefer-Baker was a monster out there with 170 yards receiving and a touchdown. And Frankie Hickson had the tall task of taking over for arguably the league's best rusher in Jamal Morrow, uh, who's out on six-game injured list, and came in and delivered 129 yards on the ground. They gave the ball to their running back 15 times in this game, Mike. Jason Moss put together an effective game plan. And, yeah, let's just stop and give him a round of applause because that's how you win a football game, Jason Moss. That's how you win a football game, Saskatchewan, is you use the talent available to you and you make the plays, especially when your offensive line doesn't give your team a whole lot of time here. They got the run game going. That opened things up for the passing game. It was Schaefer-Baker, it was Hickson, it was Fajardo all night long here. I'm impressed by the Riders in this back-to-back. I, I've been I've been arguably, you know, Adam's probably, and I see Adam in the chat. Good evening, Adam. Um, he's probably the one who's been, you know, hyping the Riders up the most out of us this season because, you know, it's understandable he's a Riders fan. But I've been right behind, you know, where not necessarily saying – I haven't been as doom and gloom on them as this season's gone along. I've constantly said, I think if they can get healthy, they have the tools there to be a team that can still go out and, 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 you know, perform in the second half of the season. They have a tough schedule. And Richard says in the chat, and they still barely won. Yes, that is, that is absolutely fair. It was a tight win, but it was a win over a team that had only lost to another team that is 10 and one so far this season. Yes. They're missing their third string quarterback, but this was a game. I think Saskatchewan had to win here. This combined with the loss by Edmonton, which we'll get into later, really puts Saskatchewan back in a good position to potentially take that and, and the loss and the loss by Hamilton too, and Calgary. So right, so yeah. there is a lot of movement in the standings coming up in the next little while. And if Saskatchewan can maintain this going forward, 
and rally off of this. I'll say this, and this is going to be a fun week on the podcast because we've got we've got Bombers and Riders, Labor Day Classic. We've got Banjo Bowl coming up. Stay tuned for a Wednesday night preview show. Uh, Trey and Adam have already been going at it a little bit on social media. Wow. It's going to be a fiery Wednesday night episode. I'll say this right now. I'm kind of scared for the Bombers going into Regina Wednesday night off of the Saskatchewan maybe starting to figure things out here. Funky things happen on Labor Day. And uh, I, I'm just excited to see a win for them, get back in that win column here and uh, get some guys healthy and uh, play a good football game because we hadn't seen too much of that lately. I'm interested. We did, we did the two guys the night off. You wonder what they're tripping up behind the scenes. I'm still just group chat. Uh, but it's going to be a fiery, lively episode uh, on Wednesday night for sure. Um, just... Let's pump the brakes here as well. Because Willie Jefferson, were you watching that? Uh, Justin Jeffco, were you watching that? Um, sure, a win's a win. Nice. They eat shots to me. It, it, it just can't happen. Uh, and to say that they almost lost the game. Uh, BC almost had the chance there to tie it uh, late in the game. Uh, a nice defensive stop by the Riders. Um, so to me, it, it's just interesting, and I hate to rail on Jeremy all day, but how a former offensive lineman in the CFL is a general manager, and he doesn't have an adequate solution to fix that offensive line. Granted, you can't do it in season, but he had an opportunity. Um, he had an opportunity to uh, fix that in the off season. Championship defense, lackluster offense, lackluster offensive line more so. Um, quickly, one positive note for the uh, for the uh, riders in this one. Schaefer Baker finally, finally, finally gets it together. And I, I think that's a scary prospect when you can get just enough time from all the pressure. And you can find a way to find a seam in the hole and uh, explosion play. Um, follow it up with uh, an interesting thing. And by the way, all the talk in Rider Nation right now, according to reports, is about what's happening with Garrett Marino getting into it with several, several members of the staff about where he was on the depth chart. As far as I'm concerned, and I'm going to pay the bombers, I'm liking this because if you have situations going on with your opposition and that's distracting their preparation, I like it. But the game scares me. I'm going to say it right now. History is on the writer's side in this game, and I expect that to continue. I think it would be a great game. I think it would be one of the highest-scoring Labor Day games we've had in some time. But something tells me the writers pulled us out this week and energized the fan base for another week. And then the Bombers win the Banjo Bowl and win the game on the 30th. And then we'll be closing in on that West Division title shortly thereafter. And, you know, I, I hyped up this performance by the writers. And I'm not saying it was a completely dominant blowout victory here. Right. No, they it only won win. by a score. The thing I'm really excited about and that I think will transition forward 
is they did a lot of the things that I expected them to do coming into the season. I expected the Riders to have arguably the best offense this year uh, with Cody Fajardo, Duke Williams, Shaq Evans, uh, Kyron Moore, Keon Schaefer-Baker. They brought in Braden Lenius back this week from the NFL. He had a tryout down there. That's a stacked wide receiver core if everybody's healthy. I believed yep. in Jamal Morrow. I believed in Cody Fajardo preseason. They didn't show me a whole lot early in the season. So I'm hyped up on this win because they finally showed me what I expected to see from them before the season began. And if they can do that in more weeks going forward, then I think this team can make things interesting in the West Division playoff race there out uh, down the stretch here. But, Mike, any I quick just, final thoughts I before jump we move in on? Here really quickly? Adam has a comment, but Bobby said nothing to see here on Marino. What did you tell me earlier in the week about a certain radio station and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? There's something to it. It adds to the spice of what I think is going to be a great football game. Uh, I just hope Marino doesn't go after Zach Lowes. That is always the worry. What will he do next? Uh, anyways, we got to move on to our next game here, Mike. Final game of the week, the Ottawa Red Blacks and the Edmonton Elks. Uh, Ottawa coming into Edmonton and pulling out the 25-18 win in their rematch of the home-and-home home series. Or should I, you know, I, I'm not even going to call this a home-and-home home series. I'm going to call this an away-and-away away series because this is absolutely absurd that two football teams that – in Edmonton's case, it's been over a thousand days since they won a game at home. In Ottawa's case, it's been quite a long time as well. They have hardly any wins on the season. How do they go into each other's barns and win in the in the away and away series? Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the just the most absurd. Like, this is the CFL, and this is a mark of the CFL for me that these two teams at the bottom of the standings trade wins on the road against each other. You couldn't pre-plan this if you were going to split it and say, hey, I'll give you a home win if you give me one for the fans. Like, oh, there's winnable games here. Um, you know, there's winnable games here for both teams and neither can win the one at home, but they get out and they win it on the road. And uh, credit to the Red Blacks here for pulling out the win. I know Edmonton made it interesting in the second half. But uh, Ottawa came out in the first half, put 20 points on the board. It was 20-3 to three at halftime. Uh, for a team that hadn't had much going for it all season, could this be a big one for, for Ottawa here going forward, Mike? Yeah, it's just interesting, right? You, 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 it's funny that the two fan bases more most desperate for a home playoff win and you think, or a home, a home win, period. Yeah, they'll uh, take playoff, any. Playoff wins might be a long time away. <laughs> Um, but the two teams most in need of a home win uh, didn't get it. And it's totally CFL, right? It's just only in the CFL kind of thing. But the presidents couldn't get together at center field. Hey, you know, you win one in your place and we win one in ours. And let's call it a day. Uh, no, but that's not the way it happened. Um, you know, to me, I... To be honest, I, I didn't see much of this game, but it seemed like a really lot uh, in intensity at points. Uh, Edmonton close, but not close enough, um, which is unfortunate. But we'll see, because for both these two teams, it doesn't get easier with Ottawa playing Montreal and Edmonton playing Calgary. Might, 
Labor Day weekend be just what these two teams need to spice up and throw in a little bit of a battle of the unknowns here in the next couple of weeks. Um, Nick Arbuckle, okay, had a little bit of motivation because he was playing his former team. And again, we see why these two teams are where they are in the standings. It's two, two steps forward, one step back, or two steps forward and three steps back. You know, these two teams, you just hope that one of them in particular, Ottawa, can maybe get on a four-game win streak and, you know, change their fortunes in the East. And maybe that's what does this. Because all of a sudden, they're a half game back of third and I think a game and a half back of second now. All the division games coming up. But, yeah, it's just unfortunate that the two teams that most needed home wins and probably the easiest spots on the bingo card to get them, didn't get them. <laughs> so about all I can say, I'm I'm really uh, I'm intrigued by what's about to happen here going forward, even though uh, I believe the CFL playoff positions are for the most part set. Well, who's going to make that move? Yeah, for me, so I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if this is a wrong assessment of myself, Mike, I would say I'm the type of person that here on the podcast will jump on a single win for a team that's at the bottom of the standings and say, they're making the playoffs off of that that win. I do it quite a lot, and a lot of times it doesn't work out. I'm not going to say that about Ottawa this time, because yes, they picked up a win over Edmonton, But look at what they did last year. They won just a couple of games last year. They beat Montreal in the final week of the season. And they had two big wins over Edmonton and then went back to the same old struggles. And I think we're going to see a lot of that here again. I'm not confident in them going forward here, uh, you know, being able to rack up a couple of wins down the stretch. But they put themselves in an interesting position now where they're one win back of Hamilton with a game in hand here. So if they can pick up another win down the stretch, well, maybe – you know, another couple here, maybe they can find their way to making it back into an interesting playoff race here, but uh, you got to be consistent. You got to go out there. You got to play well. Uh, You know, Paul Apolis, a lot of flack has been given to him this season. And I think it's going to be continued to be. And uh, it was such a weird game. Like stats wise, this was just another one of those weird football games. Richard in the chat points out what I was just about to get to. We had five touchdowns scored in this game. I think it was. None of them were scored through the air. None of them were scored by running backs. We had five touchdowns that were scored by the quarterbacks rushing for TDs in this game. Caleb Evans had two, Nick Arbuckle had one, and Taylor Cornelius had two. What a bizarre football game. 43 points on the board, and they're all quarterback sneaks, I think they were. Maybe one was a little bit longer of a rush. I can't remember. Um the other side of it, Taylor Cornelius put up 27 fantasy points this week. You would, if I tell you that number, you're thinking he's had a pretty good week passing, rushing, etc. right? But he's completed 37.8% of his passes. He somehow still threw for 287 yards because every pass he completed, it seemed, was longer than 40 yards, but he threw a pick. He uh, he threw he and then he rushed for two touchdowns on 39 yards there as well. So um, 
Very weird stats in this game. Two teams that uh, it was pretty lackluster offensively for large portions of the night. Ottawa got just enough in there to get the job done, and uh, kudos to them. And and you know, Edmonton made it interesting in the second half there, but just couldn't get the job done here for the. Can episode. I just mention something really quickly? People talk about the year-to-year progression of a lot of players. Nobody understands the growth and development of Taylor Cornelius from last year to this year. The kid has grown leaps and bounds under a microscope on a football team that's not very good. He, to me, is slowly working his way into that undisputed number one quarterback in Edmonton. Now just get the help around him. I'm not. I'm not so sure though. I'm. I'm pumping the brakes on that a little bit. I was high on him the past couple of weeks, but this is giving me flashbacks to what we talked about with Caleb Evans like three, four weeks ago, where he yeah, had two uh, impressive games there, and then he stumbled against Calgary, and then he stumbled again, and now he's the backup there. That's the same thing I saw here from Taylor Cornelius, a game where he stumbled for a lot. Um, you know, of this game, like 37% of your passes, there was nothing going offensively. It seemed either the ball was going to Kenny Lawler or it wasn't going anywhere at all, right? So here's the other thing Kenny Lawler, my word, three nice catches, including the first one, but had no business being caught, but he's somehow gets there. Nice yeah, he's the, he's the go to guy in Edmonton, and but he's playing what? like a flash in a pan. Uh, for some bizarre reason, uh, is he worth the three hundred thousand to you? No, not so far. Not so far. He's the highest paid receiver in the CFL, by my understanding. He has not played like it, and it's the team around him. Unfortunately, how many times have we seen this? Guy takes a lot of money, and they can improve the team around said individual. When are people going to learn? I'm sorry, but. Maybe take a little bit less so you, the team around you can be pretty good. I mean, I don't blame him for wanting to take that no, much. No. I, I blame Edmonton for spending that much. To be fair, they were going to have to spend to get the quality of Kenny Lawler. I think he's delivered pretty well. He's top three receiver on the season so far. But if you're going to pay him that much, you got to get that much more production to make up for the money you're not right. spending elsewhere. And that's what you're saying, I think, that they're well, not. And that's what I'm here. saying because 300 grand for the Bombers. Okay, let, let's just paint this to Winnipeg for just one minute. That's Craig McRae, okay? And that's Dalton Schoen, who you've gotten some pretty good production out of and Ellington at a much cheaper rate when he's healthy. If you're Winnipeg, would you like Dalton Schoen and Greg Ellington over the 300000 Kenny Lawler? I mean, that's that's easy to say that's now, that's but that's, that's easy to say now, Mike. You couldn't have said that preseason, though, when we had no idea who Dalton Schoen was. Right, right. Okay, so fair again. But here, here's another interesting point. This is where you need to rely on your scouts. Because the easy thing would have, would have been to say, ooh, Kenny Lawler wants $300,000. We're screwed if we don't give him that money. That would have been an easy thing to say. The Bombers made a difficult decision. <laughs> they took in Greg Ellington and they got Dalton Sean because they know what they want. To me, it's addition by subtraction, value versus 
maybe being overpaid. I think we're starting to get to curtains on the season here for the Elks. If uh, the over the next couple of weeks, if they can't go on a streak here, they're now six points back of Saskatchewan and Calgary. It's going to be tough. They lost this week. This was a game they needed to win or they needed Saskatchewan to lose. It's going to be tough here for the Elks. Yeah, Adam Austin. brings up a really good point. Fan BC for paying Lucky Whitehead first. Yeah, that set the market. And then do, you know, in Saskatchewan. Okay, you want to talk about a guy that hasn't necessarily played up to his salary? There's another one. Um, good point. Um, good point. Uh, it's cautious buying, I guess, would be the would would be the the refrain, right? You know, there's certain guys that you want you're willing to pay that big ticket to. Some of that is a buyer's beware, depending on who we're dealing with and at what point in the season. Yes, very much. And, so. and the other part is uh, there's at least some heat off of La Police for another week, but we'll see yeah. how they close in three weeks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you think the Elks can climb their way back into this, or was no, this the I, nail I in the coffin? It was done the, the week they lost to the Riders. There. That was their one chance to get back in it. I would have said they would have had a chance if uh, if uh, Saskatchewan won a loss to BC. There's just way too many teams to jump over uh, right now. And I, I I would suggest to you, Ryan, that, there's, that the trend exactly according to the way, uh, exactly according to the Chris Jones plan. Uh, if you look at his first year taking over certain franchises. First year in Edmonton, pretty awful. First year in Saskatchewan, pretty awful. Second return to Edmonton, first year, pretty awful. Okay, the microscope and the clip gets much bigger next year. Uh, for some reason, Chris Jones gets a freebie of a year, gets a mulligan the first year because he seems to tear the whole team apart and wants to seem to fit pieces with pieces. Uh, yeah, the season's over for Edmonton, but I, I think they're going to have a big say here in what goes forward. And it starts this week with Calgary back-to-back. Steal one of those games. Give Saskatchewan an opportunity to get into that West Division playoff. Because all of a sudden now, everybody's talking about the Riders and the crossover. Well, BC falls back to the path. You know, the Riders start winning a couple more games. Calgary... You know, loses a couple to Edmonton. The wild, wild west and the wild, wild east. At last I checked, the CFL season starts this weekend. And there's an awful lot of divisional games coming up league-wide. Just makes me rub my hands together in its sight. <laughs> yes, should be a lot of fun moving forward here. Well, those are the games from week number 12. Let's get into... Talking about some of the other things from this week, and we'll start off with the CFL fantasy results. Uh, Of course, every Wednesday on our preview show, you can watch myself, Adam Stewart, and Trey Kolbeck. Uh, We go through the fantasy options for the week. Uh, We also make our picks against the spread, which we'll get into the results of that here shortly. But we all play in the CFL podcast fantasy league. And uh, this past week, uh, Adam took down uh, Steve from the Piffles podcast. Uh, Big win there for Adam. Uh, to improve to, I believe it was seven and five on the season. Uh, I managed to pull out a win over Travis Kerr from the Two It Out CFL podcast, improve my record to 10 and two on the season. Just holding on to first place, getting inching closer to clinching a playoff spot with five weeks to go in the fantasy season. 
Trey unfortunately did fall to Ryan from Horseman Radio. Uh, the All Stamps lineup pulled out a 94-point week this week uh, with the uh, the big performances from the likes of Malik Henry and Peyton Logan. So tough sell there for Trey, who drops to uh, seven and five on the season as well. But hey, top eight teams make the playoffs. Three of us sitting in the top six here. So Canadian football countdown getting uh, represented pretty well here through week number 12. Now moving over to our fantasy league here, uh, our season long one. We did our draft preseason. We've been making moves as the season's gone along. The results for this week are in, and it was a very tight race. Uh, Team Adam took the the win this week with 90.4 points on the week. Big performance by Keon Schaefer-Baker, Frankie Hickson, and McLeod Bethel-Thompson led the way for him. Uh, second place was me at 87.4. Uh, Taylor Cornelius putting up that huge week despite his low completion percentage. Tim White, another solid week, were my top performers. Uh, Trey was 0.4 behind me at 87. Cody Fajardo, Nick Dembski both putting up strong weeks for him there. Uh, Mike, you did. Uh, you had a down week this week. 64.9 for you. Yeah, my product of loading up on the BC Lions and not getting production. Uh, that was yeah. my mistake. I should have seen it coming. Yeah, top performers, Zach Laros, 15.8. Boris Beattie with 15 points were your top guys this week. Uh, overall, the problem total- is when your fantasy team is, if your kicker is your second highest score, chances are you're not having a good week. Adam did say in the chat that, uh, yeah, team Adam made some serious mistakes this week. Yeah, dropping Malik Henry before he put up uh, three touchdowns is definitely one of those that stings in the fantasy world there. But, hey, Adam, you still won the week, so kudos to you for winning it this week. Overall totals on the season, I'm in first at 1181.7. Mike, you are second at 1019.3. Adam's at 952.9. And Trey isn't at 789.1, but lots of moves have been made. Teams have been tinkering, and I think we're in for a fun second half of the season. Don't count anybody out just yet. I think it'll be a fun uh, and a tight race down the stretch. And uh, I lost Nathan Rourke last week. Look, I'm happy with the results because I think I got the two top-scoring quarterbacks on the week that I picked up with Taylor Cornelius and Jake Mayer. So I'm still sitting pretty here. Y'all ain't going to get me that easily. You can take up my toy and Nathan Rourke. And I'll still kick all your butts going forward. Here. Yeah, so the dive had also released Cody Fajardo this week in a earthquake of moves that uh, happened in our league. I mean, last I checked, uh, my quarterback still performed better. So true that, true that. Uh, well, everything's better when you have Nathan Ward. The good news is, if your team keeps performing the way it does, you won't be in the running for his gender brother. Well, no, but that, that's two years from now. That's two years from now. You'll be too busy winning fantasy football championships to worry about upcoming future first-round pits. Well, that's two years from now. Maybe next year I'll sell the farm to uh, to tank it for Curtis Rourke. Yeah, that's the way you. That's the way it works around here. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, no, to to correct, Cody Fajardo did score 0.8 more than Jake Mayer, but I had Cornelius who scored more. So I'm still happy with the results this week. That's that. besides the point, Ryan. Just it's going kidding. pretty well. It's Just going pretty kidding. well. Uh, <laughs> let's get into our uh, Week 12 betting results uh, powered by BetStamp. Uh, BetStamp's a free app that helps you find the best odds for your online sports betting wagers. You can track your picks there as well. Learn more at betstamp.app. 
Sign up with referral code CFC. Find us on there at CF Countdown Pod on the commission free marketplace where you can track the picks we make as our consensus picks every week. Uh, Trey, Adam, myself, our consensus picks. We went two and two this week. Uh, We did take uh, Calgary at plus six. Uh, We got that right. Uh, We took Toronto at minus two and a half. We got that one right. And then we did, uh, unfortunately, take BC at minus three and a half and Edmonton at minus three was the consensus. So those two were wrong. In terms of individual picks for this past week, let me pull them up here to take a look at. Uh, I went two and two on the week. I did take Calgary. I did take Ottawa to cover at three and a half and got that one right. But surprise, surprise, I got an Argos game wrong once again, like I do every week. It's just dumb at this point. Next week, I'm flipping a coin. I'm flipping a coin on the Toronto-Hamilton game next week because I give up on trying to pick that one. Uh, Two and two week for me puts me at 26 and 21 on the season. Adam also a two and two week. He got Calgary plus six, Toronto minus two and a half, uh, and got the BC and Edmonton picks wrong. Uh, He improves to 24 and 23. Trey leading the way, uh, but did have a bit of a down week this week. He got Toronto at minus two and a half, but Winnipeg minus six, BC minus three and a half, and Edmonton minus three did not hit. So a one and three week for Trey, but still leads the way at 28 and 19 uh, on the season. So still doing pretty good, I think, overall as a crew here. And uh, stay tuned Wednesday night as we uh, go through our picks for the upcoming week as well. Now we will uh, get into our players of the week here in one second as I get ready to pull it up here on the screen. And well, you got a bit of a sneak peek there, but uh, there we go. Our first player of the week, courtesy of uh, Mr. Adam Stewart is wide receiver Malik Henry. Uh, Put up seven catches on 10 targets, 122 yards, three touchdowns. What a fantastic night for Malik Henry and a bit of a tongue-in-cheek pick here for Adam, who, again, did drop him from his fantasy roster and uh, probably was having a bit of a rough time watching him pick up touchdown after touchdown. So, uh, yes, Malik Henry, massive performance. Good bounce back for him because he had a couple weeks where he uh, he wasn't producing as much and uh, delivered once again here for the Stampeders despite the loss. Mike, your player of the week is... Cody Pajardo, 19 of 24, 79.2% completion percentage, 321 sits touchdowns. Oh, sorry. Six, six touchdowns. for 38 yards, two passing touchdowns. Uh, yeah, Adam's having nightmares, as we mentioned, Malik Henry. Uh, yeah, so Cody Pajardo was under a lot of pressure, was under the microscope a lot this week, uh, answered to Belfort this week only. Big challenge, and that's two weeks with the Blue Bombers. My player of the week. I don't give it to the defensive players too often. I I went with Jamal Peters of the Toronto Argonauts. Four tackles, three interceptions, one touchdown. I mean, if anybody was going to turn things around for the Argos this week, uh, it was uh, the defense. And that was Jamal Peters made a bunch of plays, made a key one. I think the last one was the one that went for a touchdown and really sealed the deal here for them. Uh, so big win there by the Argos and the defense is definitely a part of it. So shout out to Jamal Peters and Trey giving running back slash wide receiver Greg McRae his players of the week. Uh, third string running back filling in for Greg Ellingson at wide receiver. Immediate impact with a heck of a touchdown. 
He was flying all night long, 95 yards and one touchdown through the air for him. A guy who I, Fellingson is out long-term, I think could be making himself a mainstay in a starting role on that offense if he uh, puts up some more numbers here going forward. So uh, Malik Henry, Cody Fajardo, Jamal Peters, and Greg McCray are your players of the week for week number 12. A lot of honorable mentions. I mean, so many guys like Keon Schaefer-Baker, you know, Frankie Hickson, Nick Dembski, all of these guys come to mind. Uh, Tim White. Uh, Adam says honorable mention to the ref that got smoked by Malik Henry and still signaled touchdown. Yeah, we mentioned that one earlier on in the show as well. A couple of the kickers, great weeks this week. A lot of great performances this week uh, from CFL players. Hard to only narrow it down to four each and every week, but I think we did, we did a decent job here. Let's take a look at our power rankings for week number 12. Uh, I am up on the board here first. My power rankings are as follows. I have Winnipeg at number one, Calgary at two, uh, BC at three, Montreal at four. That might be a bit controversial, but uh, Montreal was at number four for me last week. And, you know, I don't move teams around on the bye week because they didn't play. They didn't really do anything to drop their ranking in the spot. I've got Saskatchewan at five, Toronto at six, Hamilton at seven, Ottawa at eight, and Edmonton at nine. Uh, Winnipeg and Calgary, three close games. I think I actually have Calgary ahead of BC right now because I think I'm just so excited to see Jake Mayer in there and balling out. And I think he's going to do good things. To just jump in here quickly. Yep. Are you the president of the Nathan Ward Hall of Fame or the Jake Mayer Hall of Fame? Oh, I'll always be the president of the uh, Nathan Rourke Hall of Fame committee. But if anybody needs a co-chair for the Jake Mayer one, I'm willing to sit in. Uh, I like it. I, I think that's why I have them at number two right now. They were they came close this week. BC did lose. So I put them ahead. Longer term, I still think I have BC ahead in the long-term rankings. But for the near future, I like Calgary a little better, especially with some of their matchups. Uh, Montreal, again, number four because of the, the bye week here. Saskatchewan, big win, bumps them up to five. Toronto, yeah, they won this week, but inconsistent again. I put them at six. Hamilton at seven because uh, an inconsistent loss for them. Ottawa at eight because they beat the Elks, and then the Elks at number nine because I think their playoff hopes are the most dire out of anybody here at this point. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell us who you have here in your power yeah. rankings? I have Winnipeg, BC, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, Saskatchewan, Hamilton, Ottawa, Ottawa, Edmonton. Uh, I couldn't really, I couldn't really put Montreal on a bye. Couldn't really move them. Toronto's defense impressed me. You know, you could flip BC, Calgary if you really want. I'm, I'm more of the narrative that it's a one-off for BC. Uh, Hamilton really took a step back to me. They continue to question whether they're a playoff team for me. Uh, Ottawa and Edmonton interchangeable 7 through 9 really. Uh, Saskatchewan one win doesn't really up the resume for me as far as moving up uh, based on previous results. We'll see this week with Winnipeg. Very curious how they're going to come out the next two weeks. Uh, Again, Toronto, Hamilton, who knows what you're going to see. Uh, it's just very, very interesting again. BC takes their third and final bye uh, this week, so they might buy another week in the number two spot, uh, depending. But 
rivalry weekend or two weekends in a row is here, and I'm excited. Adam's got uh, Winnipeg at one, Calgary two, BC three, Toronto at four, Saskatchewan at five, Montreal at six, Hamilton at seven, Ottawa at eight, and Edmonton at nine. Uh, if you want to hear Adam's rationale for that, send him a tweet over on Twitter at Adam Stewart one. Uh, also, Trey sent in his power rankings for the week. He's got Winnipeg one, BC two, Calgary three. Saskatchewan at four, Toronto at five, uh, Montreal at six, Hamilton at seven, Ottawa at eight, and Edmonton at nine. So it seems to be consensus on the bottom of the screen here for all of us. A bit of discrepancy near the top and in the middle there as well. And if you want Trey's uh, input on his power rankings, uh, tweet him at TreyMBHarness. Uh, Mike, I think that pretty much does it for our Week 12 recap here on the podcast. Let's get into starting to wrap things up here and take a look at what's coming up on the the, the pod in the next uh, little bit. Wednesday night, we will have our Week 13 Labor Day weekend preview here on the podcast. It's going to be a juicy one. We've got Bomber fan Trey. We've got Ryder fan Adam. Technically, got we've got bomber fan me, but I feel like I'm the neutral referee in the middle, just trying to keep. Oh yeah, so I, I expect to see your picture in the middle of the two gentlemen on Wednesday night. If I can make that work, I will. Um, it should be a lot of fun. The trash talk is flowing on Twitter already. It may be a bit unconventional compared to our normal uh, weekly previews. We'll still try to touch on the fantasy picks. We'll still try to touch on the betting picks for the week as well. Uh, but I think there might be a little more Winnipeg Saskatchewan, uh, focus here on this one. Uh, Kat says, uh, are you going to have a ref sweater? If I, if I had the time to put that together in the next couple of days, I would, uh, I used to have a Halloween costume one year back in the day. I, I went as a referee, but, uh, I, that was when I was a child, and it's very likely it still doesn't fit or has been thrown out since then. So I do not have that. But uh, that's Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Winnipeg time, 8 p.m. Saskatchewan, uh, here on the podcast, uh, live on all the platforms again there, and, of course, out on the, uh, on the audio platforms on Thursday. And then next week we'll, uh, we'll be back here to recap all of it. Uh, again uh, next week stay tuned on exact date and time of that one because there's games Monday because of Labor Day uh, we may be uh, making uh, a bit of a programming change to account for that but stay tuned on social media you can find all about that on Twitter at CF Countdown Pod on Facebook the Canadian Football Countdown there we will let you know uh, and yeah tune into all of our live shows we're on Facebook Twitter Twitch YouTube you can find us on any of those just search the Canadian Football Countdown and it's all made possible uh, by our presenting sponsor Game Time TV learn more at facebook.com slash Game Time TV MB uh, make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well at CF Pod Network on Twitter uh, Mike where can people find everything you've got going on these days yeah, uh, people can find me on Twitter at Mike Darrell. I uh, had a resignation to deal with today. Uh, best of luck to one of my top and the top quality announcers, uh, Jake Maurice, for uh, pursuing another opportunity but was very near and dear to his heart. So we'll be announcing a replacement shortly for Jake. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out, if you don't mind, Ryan, to the Winnipeg Rifles. 
uh, beating the Saskatoon Hilltops for the first time since 2006. Five-time national champions in a row. Well, almost got them the first time in Saskatoon. Second time is the charm. Rifles are one and two, playing a lot better than the one and two football team. Uh, best of luck to the team as they hit the bye week. Uh, quarterback Bryson McNeil uh, was excellent in the win. Uh, the Rifles look to be home again following the bye week this weekend. Best of luck is one of the Manitoba Bisons uh, men's football team who opened their season Friday night against the Regina Rams in Canada West football. The Bisons figuring to be two in the Canada West preseason polls, hence why they're preseason polls. I don't need to remind anybody that Regina is ranked last in those preseason polls, polls which has a lot of people in Regina questioning the sanity of polls. They are preseason polls. For those wondering, the Saskatchewan Huskies are uh, number one uh, in Canada West. Uh, the preseason polls, very important word, preseason polls. It's my favorite time uh, for football because also next week, it's the Manitoba High School Football League kicking off their season. Uh, coming out on the Labor Day weekend with week one games, uh, we'll have... Uh, We'll have, uh, yeah, we'll have uh, updates on that as well throughout the year as one of the football mania kind of kicks off in September to November with high school, university, Prairie Football Conference, and the CFL all winding down. Adam seems to be laughing emoji of where the U of S is. Well, University of Saskatchewan, uh, where the riders host training camp. I understand that the tendency joke behind that one. Uh, yeah, preseason polls are to be taken seriously, Mr. Coop, because your hockey team was not <clears throat> picked to win a couple of Stanley Cups in a row and those preseason polls. Uh, preseason polls, by the way, and I've certainly upped the ante with two Stanley Cups plus a Stanley Cup final appearance. So pretty darn good. So throw preseason polls, much like a piece of paper. Well, pretty much sometimes rendered useless after week one. Stay tuned, everyone. It's so exciting here the next couple weeks. I'm just going to talk myself to sleep. I'm done for the evening. Where, where, guys? where can people find you, Mike? I don't know if you've gotten to that yet. You can find me on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, my hero. That is my little bit of a wrap that I had to get in. Uh, yes. Enjoy the football, everybody. Yes, lots of exciting football at this time of year. Uh, lots of fun with all of that. Uh, if you want to find me on social media, you want to talk CFL, CFL fantasy, uh, anything of the sorts, you can find me at Cooper Trooper 42 uh, If you want to talk NFL, if you want to convince me which NFL team I should cheer for, uh, it was going to be uh, Chris Straveler's New York Jets, but it looks like that uh, that might not be the case. So I'm going to need a C- an NFL team to cheer for here. Uh, tweet me at Cooper Trooper 42. Try to convince me why I should cheer for your team uh, as I'm trying to get more into the NFL this year. And so I, uh, I, I I need a team to cheer for, but I'm getting into the fantasy of it all as well. So if you have any NFL fantasy draft tips, send them my way. 
Of course, you can find, uh, uh, you can uh, check out Trey uh, on Twitter at Trey MB Harness for everything he's got going on in, in the horse racing world as well. Uh, and his CFL takes, you can find Adam on Twitter at Adam Stewart one to get everything going on in the farming world for him right now. I know it's a heavy farming season for him. And uh, of course, uh, very well deserved night off for both of those guys. And uh, looking forward to uh, back at it Wednesday night on our preview show with them. Uh, Mike, it was a lot of fun here tonight with you, just like old times, just the two of us. Of course, a lot of fun talking with the larger group as well. Remember when we used to say to ourselves we could do these things in an hour? It never happens. It never did happen. Five minutes. It never did happen. It never will happen. We are never getting this down to an hour. And then you know what? That's okay because I'm having fun. I hope you had fun. I hope everybody tuning in has had fun. It's been fun all season long and will continue to be whatever podcast platform you're watching or listening on. We appreciate it. If you do all the fun things such as like comment, subscribe, rate, review, share the show with your friends, help us grow the show. Stay tuned for lots of uh, content to come here. Enjoy the, the next couple of days and then tune in for the Labor Day theatrics here on our Wednesday night preview show on behalf of Michael Garrell. I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.